Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience scripturally organic, culturally unmodified teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer from your host, Dr. Paula Price, author of the Prophet's Dictionary. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price. Gooder and gooder, 
deeper and deeper, funner and funner. <laughs> it just compels to use that grammar <laughs> because it's just so amazing. You start making up words. But the event, June, if you came in June to the Tulsa Prophetic Training Institute, you want to come back. I actually think our hotel block is already full, and I need to talk to them today about that because uh, I got a message that I can't get a room. <laughs> no room in the end. And so we need to see what's happening there because the hotel itself might be booked as well. At which point we'll call somebody at the street. We'll see what we need to do to make something happen. We will have a place to stay, okay? But we are working that out. But this year's summit is the Rise of the Mighty One. And it's an appropriate title for where we are right now in Christ and how we meet the Mighty One. You should go study David and his mighty men of valor. And... Um, he raised them up from being ragtag scoundrels, hiding out from the government, you know, the debtors, the homeless, the social rejects, there's probably some criminals in there because criminals make good fighters whenever you convert them. Warriors, just get them on this side of the law, you're all right. And he took that crew and made them, when he himself was a renegade, and turned them into his mighty men of valor. There's so many lessons in that Davidic journey because having great people isn't magic. People would see Dr. Price's staff and they would say, we just want your staff. We just want to take your people. Because they thought, for some reason, we came ready-made. <laughs> and you see the whole team laughing because they're like, no, no, this is a lot of training and work. And we laughed as well, like, what? <laughs> I was just crying in a quarter 15 minutes ago. We're not... <laughs> We're not ready made, no. Uh, this is a lot of training, a lot of work, and a lot of building. Dr. Price spends hours and hours a week in leadership training, first fruits of praise worship training. For years, all we did was sit in training. And then we were expected to get the job done. And so, right there. And, and all that to say, if you're going to be mighty, and you know that God has given you a mighty call. You have to understand it's going to take a mighty bit of effort to make it happen, a mighty amount of humiliation and humbling because training, and this is what we're taught, training can be very humiliating because it exposes what you don't know. So it can fill in and give you what you do know. Hard reset. Look, I can string together everything we have running around here. In this. Let's talk about pedigree. Okay. The pedigree is in a moment. And so for our near summit, it's the rise of the mighty ones. Of course, our chief apostle, Paul Price, is our keynote of keynotes. Or as Minister Tony Mason said in his live broadcast last week in our fundraiser, the apostle to the apostles. Yes, Lord. And any apostle has been like, yes, Dr. Price, I need you. I need your mantle in my life right now. So as a leader, you need to make it your business to be in Tulsa, November 20th through the 22nd. Bring your team. So, hey, you don't have to go back and try and communicate what happened here because there is nothing you can possibly say, possibly say, to even come remotely close to what happened to you when you are here. The impartation, not just what you receive, but what you leave behind. Because bless God, apostles out there, it's a warfare. That's the job. That's the office. And it's rare when you can come to a place where you get poured into. 
you receive healing. You receive that attention that you need. And that attention can be right from who's speaking on the platform, but it goes right into who you are. Our keynote speakers in June, they got ministry, got laid out. It was fantastic. And then got laid out, you know, talk about get up on the floor, how many fingers am I holding up? Do you know where you are? You're still called. <laughs> because as a minister, you're used to going in, dropping the word, dropping the package, and running off to the next assignment, and not really having a place that fills you back up. And plus, not everybody's capable of that, but Dr. Price is. So she is our chief, chief keynote speaker. I'm one of our keynote speakers this year at the summit, and Bishop Brian Keith Williams is the keynote speaker this year at the summit. We are having a praise and worship concert. We have a dignitaries dinner on Wednesday night. Also, one of our guest broadcast people from last week, we, I'm telling you what, we ran the river. <laughs> we rode the river last week in our fundraiser, but Mike Devine was the speaker there. He's going to be a keynote. This man has a lot to offer and a lot to say and a lot of truth to reveal. I was pleasantly surprised to hear so many things that he said. Dr. Price has been saying, like a wound crying in the wilderness for years, about the music industry, the rap industry, this culture, the demonics that are, are empowering it to be so. And it, so it was great. So I want to encourage you to go to www.drpaulaaprice.com and click on events. And you can see about the event. If you want to bring a group to the event, Dignitary Center, you may or may not see the option there. You need to call our office directly, and all of our contact information is on the site, 877-419-1299, and ask for Prophet Adia Peterson. She is the one who handles registration for the event. And we will get you plugged in because we already know that groups are registering and they're still registering. And so God is, he's doing it. And it's very interesting to be in this season of the word of the Lord being fulfilled. When you have prayed and prayed and prayed, and I'm not just talking about those of us who have been with Dr. Price for a long time, because there are a lot of you who have prayed for years for God to move. You've been begging. I mean, Darrell, you say, Jesus, please get me out of this church. Jesus, please change my leader. Jesus. Please give them a new message. God, what is happening to your people? Okay. You be down like all kinds of undignified before the Lord just begging him for something else. And to witness that something else unfolding before you very eyes is powerful. It's humbling. It's exciting. It's a little scary. Because you're like, ooh. You know, it's one thing to pray it in. And it's another thing to have to walk it out. And a lot of people are good at praying it in, praying in, praying in. And then when God turns to you and says, oh, but it's you, and this is what it's going to cost you to make this happen, then sometimes you might get a little backpedal ministry. Oh, no, you know, I was praying for the man of God. I was praying for the woman of God. You would have them. I mean, I wasn't saying that. I, I don't need to. Then we start feigning humility. I, I don't need to be out front. I don't need to be the one with the microphone. Get out. Look. <laughs> Laborers. Go work, okay? They've got all this harvest, still trying to find people to work to get it done. And we have created a doctrine that empowers people to tell God no. 
We have. We've set it up so that we can say it's my family, and he understands because it's family first. It says scripture nowhere. Nowhere, nowhere, nowhere. And you come to Christ, you know, you have my mind all down the street. I was going back editing, all right, Sunday's message, and I was thinking about this whole pedigree thing and the statement that she made. And then I was thinking about the broadcast last week, and uh, we did uh, Living a Single Satisfied Holy, the Single Life, and, and various other topics. And I thought, you know, if God really wanted marriage to dictate how he used you, especially as a woman, he would have asked Joseph for his permission to use marriage. Yeah. Is it okay if I take your betrothed and use her for my purpose? If you say no, that's okay. I'll go find someone else. <laughs> that didn't happen. He told that man, look, this is what's happening. This is what you need to do. And didn't touch her until that baby was born. Christ the Lord. And so from, from Jesus Christ's conception all the way through, and all the eons before that, that's not how any of this works. And so God is tapping. He's, he's tapping, and I tell you what, he's hard out knocking a lot of people's lives around to get what he wants out of them. It is better that you just say yes. The prophet is in, did you not sing the song? I'll say yes. You lead the way. Come on, Jesus. It's so easy to sing. So challenging to do it sometimes. It's probably just three and a half minutes, four minutes. Like, yes. And I'll tell you what, to sing that with conviction is not easy. It is not easy. You can sing it with talent. <laughs> My God, you can sing it with skill. You can sing it with anointing. But not with conviction. And not with the brokenness that you heard in that prophet singing that song. Because it's like, yes. Yes, Lord. Yes. And not, yes, I'm holding my breath. Yes, because I don't have a choice. Yes, just can you just say yes because you want to? I mean, after a while, you don't want to deal with somebody who's only doing something because they feel a begrudging obligation to do it. And that's really how we have moved in the body of Christ into this begrudging obligation to say yes to him. We're going to say yes to the dress if you want to get married. We want to say yes to career because you want money. And hey, prosperity, that's a doctrine, prosperity. We want to say yes to all these things, but when the Lord comes saying, I have need of thee. Oh, God, but it's all these things you gave me. It's the reason I can't do it. And uh, time for that is up. And so being here in November and getting behind Taking It On with Paul Price, going to www.takingiton.com. Takingiton.com. I just sent a ring to it because we are taking on God's issues. Not just social issues, not just controversial issues. Some of them are controversial because God's controversial. He comes, he said he's the rock of offense, he's the sword. He lets us know in Scripture every which kind of way that I am here to rock the boat, to make you mad, make people mad all over the place. He didn't hide that. I don't understand why we're so in shock when people get upset. He didn't hide it. Pharisees were angry. I mean, why did they kill him? Pharisees were angry. People walked away. Family, Jesus, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Who are you? What do we have to say? Who are you? I have a job to do. You know, kind of like, don't forget who I am. Talking to his mother, don't forget who I am. See, because it's easy. You get familial, you get comfortable. Moses was Aaron and Miriam in the book of Numbers. They forgot who he was to God. And then we're just talking about their brother, as we do. As we do. With family, 
And to you, they're just family. But to God, they're somebody else. And he responds based on who you are to him, not on who you are to all these people on planet Earth. And so I want to challenge you to make that move, to be here in November at the summit, to join the ranks of the mighty ones. This is not hype. We're, we're so far past hype. Like, devils are showing up as devils now. They used to be all clothed and, you know, had the pretty face and even on television shows and maybe they peep out every now and again. Oh, no, no. Now they're walking around as devils, TV shows, incantations, witches, demons, warlocks, vampires, werewolves. They have love stories with all this perversion, all kind of things going on as they are. They have come right out with it because we didn't want to talk about devils. We just want to talk about love. And so while we were loving one another, nobody was standing with the sword <laughs> protecting God's kingdom. And so darkness has taken off its mask, taking off its delusion, taking off all the romanticism and, and the fallacy of it. And it's like, hey, we're devils. We're here jumping in and out of people, as they do. It's just, all of what they do now is mainstream. It's mainstream. Because we said people don't want to hear about devils. Didn't we, the church? The church said, oh, keep it soft, keep it warm, keep it fuzzy. We don't want to scare people away. We don't, you know, deliverance is something about. How many things today you have never heard deliverance? I know Christians, people who go to big churches. And when I start talking about deliverance, they're like, what do you mean? Deliverance. I had somebody say to me just last year, this is a new term for me. What is deliverance? Yeah. Yes. Someone who's been in church for years. So we have these monstrosities and these huge buildings with all these people, and, and yay, yay for numbers, yay for numbers, yay for numbers. But what are they doing? We've lost the kingdom. We've lost the country. There's a lot of loss that we have to recover. We are surely in a recovery season, and guess what that means? Battle, battling, fighting. David's era was a battling era. He warred and warred and waged war and shut down wars and started wars and kept wars going to bring it back home for Jesus Christ because so much was lost. And we have job security, thanks. We have job security for Jesus. So we're in a warring era. We surely are. You see all this mess on social media, folks fighting all over the place, posting this, posting that, outing this, outing that. We don't even know. Lying on this one, lying on that one. Lie, 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 lie. We have a president who had to declare something called fake news. This is not real. We have news that is not real, intentionally skewed in this country where none of this was ever going to happen here. We were never going to be like those other nations. No, no. Because we lived in a bubble. But we didn't realize that that bubble was because Jesus Christ is Lord of this land. Now, he's still Lord. He has not left his throne. He has not left his throne, but now he's going to get back in the hearts of his people, get back in the souls of his people. And that's what we are doing with taking it on. That's what we are doing with the Near Summit. That's what we're doing with Christ University, Learn Today, Lead Tomorrow, so we can raise up an army because whether we like to think about it or not, the whole previous regime was an army, ministerially speaking, that kept the stronghold of Jesus Christ. The laws were in Jesus' favor. The music was in his favor. And that which was not was like, 
you know, under the table. You had to go over to this little corner. To, you had to be one of those people. All of the little, you know, nudie places, the things we used to call that, the little nudie bars, right? <laughs> now that's all mainstream. That's the music videos. It, it used to be on just those certain television channels, you know, oh, you're... Your parents subscribe to HBO. Ooh, Cinemax. Oh, we need to pray for your parents because, you know, that's sinful television. It was. Back in the 90s and 80s, that's what it was like. That was a, ooh, that was bad TV. That was, you knew if that was in your house. Ooh, as a Christian. And now, I mean, Prophet Adina and I were having this conversation about a show. She said, I watched this show, and it's whole New sex thing jumped up, and she was like, what? Been watching this show for three, four seasons. Not a hint of it. Not a hint. And in one scene, it's in your face. Boom. She said, we're racing to find the remote control. We've all been caught there. You're like, oh, my God. <laughs> Don't fall asleep on the television. Wake up. You're like, ah! <laughs> what is happening? I'm being accosted in my sleep by devils. Wondering why you have a strange dream. Turn that TV off so you go to sleep. I'm telling you what. And so we have now what used to be off in the corner is completely mainstream books for kids, all kinds of uncleanness. Where we know we already know we've been in the fight of the whole gender issue and bathrooms, and now you have the homecoming with gender neutral homecoming with the boy who won the queen the win the dress and the, I said, come on now here, come on, but see we have a job to do. And we learned the hard way, God's just not going to take care of it. God will do it. And because it's never happened, it won't happen. That's how we feel about our freedom here in this land. Because certain things had never happened, we thought they would never happen until they started happening. In this era, be challenged. Be provoked. This is meant to be provocative. And we think provocative in the sense of sexual lewdness, but provoke. That is the root of provocative. You are supposed to be provoked to do something about it, not just sitting at home, fussing to one another, going in each other's houses and having lunch and fuss, 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 pray, 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 and do nothing. And then wait on Jesus. That's how we got here, waiting on Jesus, being passive. The whole happy time gospel is a passive gospel. Jesus never, ever misled us about what we were facing off with because he knew his enemy. And he knew that's who we were going to be facing off with. He knew his enemy. He said it. The apostles said it. Paul said it. Peter, they all talked about it in Scripture. This devil is real because he really tore up heaven. And whoa, he's down here now. Okay, you know, but hey, Lord has overcome the world. Great. But can we? Partner with that, you know, we still have to do our job. We still have to do our share, and it is an investment, absolutely. But the payoff is absolutely worth it. People have gone back. Their, their ministries are stronger. They're taking territory in their region. They're owning properties where they live and beginning to push things back, drawing people. I mean, Apostle Nona Parker, if she isn't in the book of Acts, Lord adding to her number daily, all right, just every day, somebody <laughs> in Antioch. Her church's name is Antioch. What's in the name? All right. What is in a name? You will draw what you say you are. Just like the congregation of the mighty. Where God sent people here, the congregation of the mighty, and they're like, oh, no, that's, yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's, 
be strong in God. Huh. Isn't that something? That's, yeah. And then they find out in Scripture, whoa, is it really? Yes. Lots of things. If you actually start and read the book, I don't know, maybe beginning to end, jump in the middle. Just pop it open in the middle and start reading. Be surprised at what you find. But that's where we are, takingiton.com. Sunday, Dr. Price is continuing, and, and was continuing, I should say, this last Sunday, with our Christian pedigree. I was talking back to that recording. Yes, I was when I was editing. Not Jesus today. She talked about the significance of the new birth. And how in the beginning, well, in the beginning we were talking about our taking it on and everything we did, but she talked about receiving. Um, like graduation certificates for ordaining prophets in June will be commissioning apostles in November, and how it's not about the paper alone that God cares about. Because we often like to say, this is just a sidebar, the argument, the Lord just needs you to be educated to use you, and we will say, depends on where you want to be used. Street ministry does not require that, as in going out. And just saying the people you see yelling on the corner, no, you don't need you don't need education for that. You don't need a certificate, you don't need training. There are many things I'm gonna go on a missions trip. Now we have programs of missions, <clears throat> so I'm not negating that. Many schools do. But if you want to just jump on board, go overseas, buy yourself a plane ticket, get a passport, buy a ticket, and say the Lord just loves you all, you can go ahead and do that. But if you want to speak to people in high seats of government, if you want to sit in a seat, up, oh, be buzzed you want to sit in a seat of influence, if you want to change the medical world, the legal world, the education field, guess what you need? Education. Because they won't let you in. I mean, some things are very basic. That we have just slapped the mediocre badge on anything tied to Jesus Christ. I just, I can't even understand how he just hasn't sent down a whole lot of smoke and fire at this point. But starting over would be a setback. So, you know, but we do have a lot of events that do present a hard reset on planet Earth in the natural realm. But how you need that, and she made a statement and says that we, the modern minister, bypasses the process and cannot give God his product because she talked about having the product that comes from processing, and the product is to fulfill a process. The purpose is to enable you to perform a function. We are here for a reason that is bigger than our personal satisfaction. And we have a don't worry, be happy doctrine. Very Buddhistic in nature. You'll hear that kind of slung through a lot of things. It's just happy time and go in and feel good and not be challenged, not be corrected. And she said they are for the doing but they are doing, excuse me, but not performing. You can do a lot and actually not perform what you've been sent to do. Form. Perform it. Mm. Must ask, must ask the end function that you will be able to perform competently, competently, and consistently from the process. This is why we go through trials. When you think about a trial process for a new product, that trial is to test it, do a test run on the market to see if it will deliver according to how it was manufactured. 
according to how it was planned. A trial process, the Olympic trials. Those trials are to see if all of the Olympic hopefuls have what it takes to be the best to actually get to the Olympics. And we really right now are walk, running on our Christian hopefuls. You know, we got to have this hopeful mentality. <laughs> Hopefully we'll get there. And every time a trial comes, we're out. We both. That's not God. That's not the Lord. That's certainly the devil. So I'm praise God. We thought she wanted to rebuke God. <laughs> what do you call her to do? Very common response. Like, what? That can't, that can't be. Huh? And how confident, competent, and consistent. Our assessments, the ministry assessment questionnaire for sure, and, well, actually all of them, but they have the language of, will you, you are assessed on your ability to be consistent in what you do. You're competent. And what you do, not your enthusiasm. Enthusiasm actually is a measure. Excitement, great, great. That's a motivator for a lot. What's that? It's not measurable. It's not measurable. You know, but you appreciate it. I like it when you run over the stage after the start. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you're wrong. I get to hear what I'm saying. Yes, and that, that was the first 15 minutes. I love it. Ooh, boom. <laughs> Thou shalt have no other God before <laughs> I am so excited. I agree. You seem right. <laughs> I could do more too. I love it. You know what? I appreciate this. And sometimes, um, you know, I've had a whole lot that we're working on. And then there are some things that God wants me to share with you in the last minute. And as soon as I find out where the thing is. Yeah, um, and so there are things that he wants to uh, he wants to share, and I'm with God about sharing with him, and so um, I'm going to spend a little time. Thank you, my we love. Are too. A little time. <laughs> you know, I was going to say because you know she, you know y'all you guys are in trouble, right? You understand how this is going to go, but but nonetheless. Our God is an awesome God. And so I want to talk, you know, um, let me just get over here because I'm trying not to give you what you don't need. So we are going to cut out a few things. Just a few things so that you all feel like we're on the same page. Isn't that nice? Yes. Hmm. Okay, so that's the wrong one anyhow. I do have a, oh, there it is. All right, now we are there. Now, you're going to like this. If you are a leader, if indeed you are a leader, I want you to start sharing, sharing, sharing. Uh, I don't think it's any mistake that she started out, that we ended up on, you know, um, her last comments, because, you know, she's all excited about this. Uh, but one of the things that you will know, and I talk about it constantly, I train leaders to lead like Christ. Now, you think that I'm training leaders to lead like church because you think Christ and church are synonymous. And in a perfect world, they really are. They should be, ought to be. But they're not always synonymous. And so we find out that Christ and Christianity can be literally uh, miles from the church because the church is considered itself a home. 
house. And see, God considers the, the, the body or the, those converted to Jesus Christ his house, not the brick-and-mortar building. And so the brick-and-mortar has come up with all sorts of commands and rules and things like that, something that the Lord Jesus expected. He did. He said, you know, um, teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. Now, that's a thought. You could, I mean, you should just dig that phrase up. Just keep de- teaching as doctrines the commandments of men because there is a, a couple of ways to pull leadership out of God's word. You can pull it out as excerpts, as examples, as modes, modus operandi, if you will, operatives. But, but, but pulling leadership out of the man Christ Jesus is not the same thing because when you pull leadership out of a person, it's not as flexible, it's not as adaptable or as versatile as we want to make it. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about leadership. So if you are a leader, if you've just been brought into leadership, if you've just, I don't know what happened, but we will find it out somewhere by we get there. You know, I'll work it. But if you have just gotten started in your leadership role, you want this. I just finished a course for my leaders. Uh, I finished a textbook for the course entitled, Now That You Are a Leader. Now That You Are a Leader. Because the early leadership is all about fascination, inspiration, and imitation. When you write those three things down, fascination, inspiration, and imitation. And I'd love us to just say it one more time. Wouldn't that be great to know? Because you enter into leadership on fascination, inspiration, and imitation. Now, our job is to accept that and say thank you, you know, because all of those are the pulses of the calling. So we're going to talk about that. So I'm going to officially welcome you to the Jesus and Father show. I love this. Jesus and Paul. And you know what? He likes it. He's like, oh, okay. Because, you know, we don't want to use his name. We don't like using his name. And if we do, we want to use his last name. Because in the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. So we don't want our, we don't want all those knees in our lives to have to bow. <laughs> so we want to make it nice and easy for them. So we use his last name. So then we don't, you know, and we think that his last name only means Christ to us or only means Messiah to us. But you do want to call, call my office, 877-419-1299, and say, I want that teaching that talks about Christ being in eternity. Because you need to understand that Christ is not a, a uh, redemptive name for the world only. It, it became redemptive in his world. And so you want to call me, 877-419-1299. And listen, let me remind you, as I go on, we're still in taking it on fundraiser mode. I want to thank every one of you who have become part of our fan club, our viewer circle, our producer circle, because you all have been really wonderful. I thank you for that, but we, we need more. So don't forget, after this is over, go to takingiton.com. Taking it on.com, and you can see the webathon all over again. You can see all of our first episodes of Taking It On so you know what it's about, and you can get a whole lot of other stuff because, you know, Apostle Ash is going to put a lot of stuff up. So here we are, me and Jesus. We showed up today. We decided we should come in. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, but I, want, I want to show you 
Today's topic, the real world of leadership, how you see it, how it is, how you see it, and how it is. The book that I wrote, I just finished it. I, you know, I have a mock-up copy because, you know, we're getting ready to get it published. And so we're just kind of doing some of the galleys. They're cleaning it up a little bit. But the book is based on the premise of which way did you enter leadership? Did you enter leadership the way you saw it and decide to change it to who, how you saw it? Or did you enter it the way it is and you changed? So did you change the concept and the, the spiritual principles and, of leadership to suit your fascination, your inspiration, and your imitation? Or did you, in fact, say, I need to know what this is about? You know, when you look at most professions, people enter it to learn the profession, not for the profession to learn them. We often, as Christians, we want to change everything to what we think. Like she was just saying, you know, we, 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 we don't want to hurt your feelings, and we don't want to make you work too hard, and, and, and all of that. So the, the number one phrase in the book, in the manual, is the faux pas and the, the future failure of every leader. And that phrase is, leadership won't change me. You hear people say it all the time. They say it in secular jobs. They get promoted, and they, they want their friends and coworkers that they are leaving behind to feel okay with their departure and not to feel threatened about their elevation. So to assuage their concerns, they say, we're still going to be friends. I'm still going to meet with you on Friday nights. We're still going to hang out. We're not going to change. Because just because I work upstairs doesn't mean I change. Just because I now am part of a, the, the, the staff that calls the shots or directs the organization or supervises you doesn't mean I'm going to change. And they leave their coworkers behind with the false notion. And that false notion is they can continue to be as disruptive and different and, and, and as slothful or as fraudulent as they want to be because their friend has moved upstairs and they don't see that promotion of that friend as an elevation or even authorization. They see it as a guard at the top. My friend is going to guard me so I no longer have to follow the rules. My friend is going to guard me. Our former coworker is going to guard us so I don't have to obey. I can steal a little bit. I can cheat on time. I can come in a little late because my friend already told me this promotion will not change the circumstances or the terms and conditions of our relationship. I know right now some of you all are like, wow. And you did it. You told all your coworkers they can still do it. You let them fudge time at the time machine. At the, you know, when they have to clock in, you let them fudge time. You let them leave a little early. They can come a little late because in your mind, it's only a physical move, not spherical. So if you maintain that your elevation to leadership is no big deal, then you are accepting the position under false pretenses. And you are not being elevated as an asset to leadership, but as a guard to the unruly. 
I, I want to know, how are you all taking this? How are they taking this? You all are looking at it. Are they, how are they taking this? See, a lot of you all took your promotion and became a cudgel against leadership and a guard to those that you didn't want to leave behind because you wanted to prove you really didn't deserve it, you don't know why you got it, and so therefore you can't maintain anything for the company because you still believe the company is wrong. You just happen to have been one who did not assault the company as well as much as, or the organization, as much as the others. So you get the promotion, everybody claps, yay, we give you some, you know, all about the lunch. And then after you have your lunch announcement where they announce who you are and what you are as a leader, after you have that announcement, then you go out with your buddies and say, yeah, it doesn't mean anything. And you trash the, the, the certificate and you trash the emblems because you yourself know you didn't deserve it because you don't intend to preserve anyone or anything through it but your former life. Now, that's not how you want to say it, because you're like, no, uh-uh, no, you, uh-uh. you, want to, you want to walk two sides of the street. And so, and the best, and the one thing you can't do is be a leader who needs the followers to love you. If you need their love, stay in their rank. If, you, if their love is that important to you, stay in their rank. Stay with them. Be a union rep. Be a mediator. Don't be a leader. Because whoever sets in motion the movement, the momentum, is the leader. And if the people's displeasure determine your leadership stature, then you are not a leader. You are their tail. They're dragging you behind. You know, like the dinosaurs and the animals, See, because you're either going to be the head or the tail. And a lot of leaders are the tail, which is why they have the little joke of the, the, the tail wagging the dog. See, many of you took leadership to be the tail and not the head. And when it comes to Christ, you exploit it even more because you make up your mind that Jesus' realm is not real Jesus himself is not real. I watched the show where man is, he, last night, it's just a good, good statement, and um, he, because he was a doctor. He committed a crime. He went to jail. He didn't think he should have gone to jail. While he was in jail, he became an addict. He came out. He, he maintained an addict. He's sitting in a bar with booze in front of him, snot running down his face, played his phone. Snot running down his face, tears and everything, and he's drinking his booze. And he said, don't tell me that Jesus has the answer because I don't believe in ghosts. You are about to be a ghost. And you want to talk about a man who has pulled more people out of addiction than you can count in 10 lifetimes. Whether it's concept or whatever you want to call it. So the point is many Christians don't believe Jesus is alive. When you look at many of these polls, they many Christians. The problem is we think that the majority of Christians don't believe that he's alive. And that is not so. And these are the people who are walking around with his hope in their heart. See, if you don't have Jesus' hope, you're not here anyway, because Jesus' hope made him go to the grave, made him get on a cross, because he had a hope in his Father's power to bring him back, bring him back to life, bring him back to flesh, bring him back to heaven, 
to bring him back to his throne. That's the mindset of a leader. See, a leader cannot let everything that happens around them dictate their hope. And if you, are, if you don't have a hope for taking the reins of leadership, you need to loosen it and let it go because it's not something for you. So I'm going to talk about the real world of leadership. Let me go back and reiterate the point that I want you to take away from this, one of the major points, and that is leadership won't change me. That is a deception, and that is a completely emotional response to why God chose you for power or position or authority. And here's why I say that, because a lot of people, I don't agree, it's illogical. There are certain things that you believe and we teach as theology or the commandments of men are really the doctrines of devils. Leadership must change you. It's for no other reason that you will no longer have time for your, your friends in the past. You're in meetings. You're in training. You have to have accountability. You must do planning. You must do preparation. If you're going to do it right, now you're just going to squat. Then again, you detail. And you need to recognize leadership is supposed to change you because you're supposed to change the climate or the situation. And if you're not supposed to change it, at the very least, you're supposed to maintain. So you're in there to change or maintain, change or maintain. So why am I giving you this particular discussion today? Because you are upset with your leaders because you think they were chosen to lead. I know, that's kind of hefty, isn't it? You think your leaders were chosen to lead, but to lead according to your will and your whim. So you always, you know, you always have an opinion because you think that, and your leaders, because they were chosen for charisma, not necessarily character, not necessarily capability, not necessarily capacity, Compatibility, not necessarily competency. See, that's the C-suite of inner leadership, and they don't have it. So all they have is charisma. They make you feel good. They're funny. <laughs> they have jokes. You know, people say I'm funny, but you know what they say? I'm funny, but you see? <laughs> I will give you some comic relief. But understand, it's a short relief. It's a brief relief. Comic relief. Because you're going to get a lot more of shock theology from me than you will get comic relief. Because I want you to know that the subject that I am undertaking is a serious subject. And I need you to hear. So you have this, this issue where you want to stay with your friends at the work and on the weekends doing the very same thing. And yet go and, and, and you don't have to punch a clock. So you used to be in line with them. You don't have to. You report to your office. See, punch, report, punch, report. That says a lot. That's a change already. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you the secret about the, uh, the heart and soul of a follower. Followers love it when you tell them that stuff. They do. I promise you. They think, wow. And the first thing they're going to do is test you. And they're going to test you with infractions. They're going to break the rules. They're going to come late. And say, man, you understand because you used to be one of us. And then they're going to want to have extended breaks, frequent breaks, and extended lunches because, hey, you're one of us. 
you just stationed in a different place. Then they'll want to leave early. They'll want to skip out on their work. They're going to want to do less because they have a guard in leadership that's going to allow them to do less and to become worse. They are because you're not a leader. You're a guard to the past, and you're a guard to your former coworkers, and you're guarding the, the, the failures. You're guarding the mistakes. You're guarding the exploitation. You're guarding and excusing and excusing and guarding because that's the way you keep your friends with you, even though you're called to go up higher. Isn't it interesting that don't you find that very, I like her word, provocative? See, because you're guarding that which you don't want to release. And you don't want to release it because you're afraid of the new friends that are waiting for you, and you're very comfortable with the friends you've had. And you really want to continue socializing. I love that bowling night. I love the coffee thing. I love when we spend our vacation together. I love that our kids go to the same school and we share a car carpooling. You love that. And I'm not criticizing it. I'm just giving you the implications. And sometimes you may need more, more in-depth explanation of the implications of what you do and the information that's really being put out by your behaviors. So you're that one. And so, and, and, and you know, people in leadership, they wait, they give you X amount of time. You know, we give you X amount of time until, but they pay attention. I'm a pastor, and I've pastored since 1985. I have had all kinds of members, I promise you, I've had all kinds of members, different churches, and I find that the number one thing a pastor ought to do is to see who gravitates to who. I was, as a pastor, I never cease to be surprised at the types of people that couple up, that become friends. I mean, never. And I'm always surprised at what my leaders or my mentees are drawn to. That tells me everything about them, you know, because a person is known by the company they keep. An evil company corrupts good habits. Paul told us that. So you, we know you by your friends. You can say, well, no, that can't be. Yes, it is. Because eventually that constant communication, that constant fellowship, that constant uh, exchange of, of, of uh, symbiosis, that symbiosis between, it will begin to change your life because it begins to change your life. It begins to change your, your expectations and so you have to understand that if you want to stay a strong leader, you need to stay with strong leaders. If you want to become a strong leader, you need to become uh, come into relationship with people who have already worked out the leadership issues that people have and the, and the issue that people have with leadership. So I pay attention. And when I look at my leader choosing a weak vessel, a troubled person, to be their friend, I suspect that leader. I really lose a lot of respect, to be honest with you, in their ability to override their emotionality. Because for emotional reasons, whether it's the underdog, because, you know, there are some leaders that they can't get past the underdog thing. You ought not to be a leader. You need to be an advocate. You need to understand. See, we need, somebody needs to fine cut these things. We need to cut through the finiteness. So you'll take, you are called to be a leader, and you're your best friend, and the person that you're going to sit with and talk with and commune with, and it's, well, not, all of that is going to do anything, nothing but just dump their issues on you. 
And if you are, if you chose that person, it's a foregone conclusion that your choice of that person reflects your your inability to lead them through their issues. First of all, you don't even guard your own garment, so you're constantly dealing with that spit up. And babies spit up all the time, spit and loose, poop and spit. And so you're constantly trying to work through your own transition, your own psychological and psycho-emotional transitions. You're trying to work through those while you are being a, at the least, a shoulder to cry on, and at best, a whooping per, a whipping post for somebody who has problems with leadership or your organization or the way things are done or who just don't believe certain things. You stay in that, that swamp long enough, it will begin to anesthetize your ability to lead, but it will also paralyze your will to do so because you become an advocate of their issues. And people are always trying to enlist your advocacy. So I pay attention to that. I, um, when I put someone in leadership, I look at where, who they are visiting and, if, and, and, and the caliber uh, and character of the people that they want to gravitate to or connect with. Now, should you call, have coffee? I don't really care. I'm just giving you principles because you can do it first three months, but over time, the requirements of the position should be separating and your concern for doing your position correctly and being a benefit to the, those people should take precedence over your need for constant companionship with those you think you're leaving behind. If you need a lot of companionship with your past fellows and your past workers, then you're not a leader and you are a tail. You know, dog wags tail, or now in this case, the tail go Because you know why I say that? Because scripture, and I believe it's Micah, but scripture says that the, the, the prophet is the tail. That's, a, I believe it's Micah's prophecy. And it talks about who's the head and who's the tail. And the prophet is considered the tail, it's particularly the false prophet, when, when, when Micah's making this conversation. So I'm not coming up with something that sounds like, well, no, it's there. And so what is it? When you think of uh, the dragon pulling the, you know, it says, and the dragon in Revelation 12, he, he swung his tail and he pulled one third of the angels from the sky. And so we think that that's just a physical gesture. Maybe he kidnapped them. Maybe he, he overpowered them. But when you look up the word tail, the word tail has two things. Those that are coming up out of the, the uh, pit of hell with the stingers in their tail, sting, stingers. But if the tail means what it says, then the dragon just prophesied them out of their place. Just be very careful. When I started developing my leaders, I started telling them, you need to recognize as soon as you get in the leadership position, people are going to try to enlist your advocacy, enlist your agreement, enlist your, uh, your favor so they can exploit it and not have to be measure up. That's human nature. And you need to know human nature. So many of you, you became leaders, and it was more important for you to stay friends with those that you had moved, uh, that God had moved you up like he didn't try to separate you. 
Because it's supposed to sanctify you. When God said to the priest, sanctify them, that's what he meant. I'm pulling you out of your community. I'm pulling you out from among your friends. I'm pulling you out from among your companions because you need to be their solution. Mm-hmm. You need to be their supervisor. You need to be their covering, not just their guard, and not guarding their misconduct and mischievousness. And so many times people will expect you to, to guard their mischief because you have history. So you always have this tension between your history and your destiny, your destiny and your history, and this is always a struggle. So I've, I've seen this problem, this particular um, custom, take root so deeply that the person literally goes back to where they were. I'm leaving leadership. I've seen them vacate the position. I've seen them demote themselves because they were woefully unprepared for what it really takes to be in someone's leader. And also, to know, you must know the difference between a leader and a front runner. Who, who's up front does not have to be who's the leader. Mm-hmm. I was in sales a lot of years, and they used to say, but who's the key influencer? Who's the one that's really making a deal? Who's the shark caller? Who's the detour? And so we might choose the charismatic person, and the charismatic person is just window dressing because the person who's really running that group or that department doesn't want to be in leadership. They don't even want to be known as the one who's doing it, but they want the freedom to do it undercover. So they're going to be that underhanded person that you have to get to know in leadership. And many times the first thing they're going to do is present themselves to you and tell you that you're going to do what they say. You're going to be their instrument. Because they don't need an advocate. They need an instrument. This is leadership. So when I wrote the book, and I've done this, I've taught this, oh, my God, for so much. But I had to understand leadership has a real world. And in the book, I write about how leadership predates earth. And leadership is structured, constructed, and also disseminated by wisdom. Lady Wisdom says in Proverbs 8, God chose her at the beginning of his way. And if you read, and I read it every, every year, I'm, well, actually, I try to read more than that, but at least once a year, I go through Proverbs 8 and 9. Because that, those, that is, to me, they're the best lesson for leadership if you study them carefully. And I don't just peruse them. Because sometimes we say we read something, we really kind of peruse it a little bit. We kind of scanned it maybe, skimmed it. But we didn't get into it. And so if you want to get the, uh, one of the understanding, that is it. If you are to be a leader for God Almighty, the Lord Jesus Christ, then you have to take and make Proverbs 8 and 9 and Psalm 119 your annual trek. That would be your annual scripture trek. So the real world of leadership did not begin on earth. That is why God tested Adam as a leader of his new planet. And he didn't release him to leave the planet until he proved that he could keep the garden. So let's look at a few things. Y'all, is you guys audience? Y'all all right? Um, y'all coming? Y'all there? Where'd you go? I know, right? I don't blame you. 
So the question, the time of the book, the manual, is now that you are a leader. And I, I plan to have a copies of it ready for my November event. So when you come, you'll be able to purchase copies of now that you are a leader. And you'll be able to use it. I want to adapt a version for workbook so that we can, you can work with your people through it. So now that you are a leader, and the number one thing that you must do is say, I will, I will change to adapt to the world of leadership as it has been established before the world began. God is a leader for a reason. One thing he's never going to let you do, when he said, my glory, I'll not get to another, you know what he said? I'm not, no, no. He's not just talking about his glory. When you look up the word glory, he's not just talking about glory. He's talking about weight. He's talking about his authority. He's talking about his brilliance. He's talking, look up glory. Because you think glory is what we call on in church on Sunday. The glory fell. Oh, Because one of the synonyms of glory is heavy weight and burden, in addition to opulence, influence, and, 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 and uh, uh, what do you call it, affluence. So you think you know what it is to be in the glory. You don't. You want to be in the shimmering outpouring of the Holy Spirit's love and affection. You don't want God's glory. Because God's glory is waiting, and it does something else that you don't like. God's glory severs. It severs. There's a reason why you can't run up on Jesus' house and tell him how you feel. So you run into his church. There's a reason why he's not walking among us. Because of his glory. His glory is astounding. I looked one day, he just decided to show me his glory like he did with Moses, and he just, I saw him, and here's the thing that he, he does. His glory, he said, first of all, he's just the purest man you'll ever want to meet, but his glory, and, and he's got all of this radiance, this, I mean, this, this thing is brighter than the sun, no joke, all of this opulence and whatever, and he just turns it off and on when he wants. And if he doesn't want you to come close to him, he blinds you with his radiance. Okay? Because that, that unapproachable life, that unapproachable, so you don't really know what that means. But the glory builds when you let him build himself in you. For we are a holy habitation of God in Christ Jesus. So you want glory, and, and glory is not just radiance. I promise you, radiance is the indication that the glory of God has been risen upon you. So the more you and God agree on how he's going to use you and what you're going to do with his various dispensations and impartations, the more your glory grows. And, you, I mean, and, and you'll know it's growing because all of the things that we have to do for people uh, to, to gain people's attention, stop. Like, I really don't. I open my mouth and they're like, oh, wow, you got to be somebody. Why? Because I let him build himself in me, which is why I keep saying I am the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and I expect to get fuller and fuller every day. Because I've abandoned whatever it is that this world thought it could do. I say that, I don't are you kidding me? When you have seen this man in his environment, his climate, when you've seen how his entire world does nothing but live to serve him, live to hear what he wants next. When you have been in that dimension of God, this here, you really understand why he calls it the dead world. Wow. 
So now, I want to read something to you. Now that you are a leader, a real-world vision. One of the things I want to talk to you about, this is so good, so good. It is so good. One of the things I want to talk to you about is all of you all criticizing us using the, the um, epithet or the adjective chief. I just don't understand. I mean, where does the Bible say that I can tell you you should be embarrassed? Can I say this again? You should be embarrassed attacking somebody on something you never looked up. Shame on you for being that vocal, that vociferous about something you never checked. The Bible uses chief over 300 times. Shame on you. Shame on you. You should be embarrassed and humiliated. Over 300 times. Now, I, I like this. <laughs> so I'm going to start with Deuteronomy 1.15. So I took the chief of your tribes, wise men and known, we would say known, if we would write, say, send it today, we would say renowned, and made them head over you, captains over thousands, and captains over hundreds, and captains over fifties, and captains over tens, and, and then after we get to ten, and officers among your tribes. So chief in an office is Bible, Deuteronomy 1.15. You should be ashamed. I'm not going to let you off the hook for that because time out for people who have never read their Bible sitting there telling us what the Bible says based on the, your favorite book, your favorite tape, and your favorite preacher. Teaching his doctrine, the commandments of men. So you're going to challenge because we use the word chief. I'm loving it. And I, I love Chief Prophet Tala because she's one of those people that is, will definitely dig up things. That girl's a digger for days, and she's going to dig her all her life. When, I, when she was growing up in the house, she's going to be researching this and looking that up. So she looked it up, and I have too, but she's done it more recently. So I'm going to put on my website how many times and how many ways the Bible applies the word chief since you won't look it up. So if you're going to fight about it, be right about it. See, we're okay about fighting and not being right. Unrighteous fighting. You know, I said to my daughter, because she was just telling me how different people ask questions. I was like, first of all, who are you? Don't ask me a question if you're not my equal, because whatever answer I give you will not work. Now, if you're a student, I'm going to give you a student's answer. If you're a mentor, a mentee, I'll give you a mentor's answer. But if you're an adversary, we're going to face off. Because I read my Bible. And now I don't scan it. I don't peruse it. I don't skim through it. I don't have those skip overs. Let's just skip over this because we don't know what what God's talking about. I don't do it. I preach my Bible. I have written every word that I write. People find the Bible. See, you you just learning about my testimony because I'm I'm giving out the Bible. And so when God tells me something, I don't take it as face value simply because it's God. I check it to make sure it's God and that it's not some other spirit masquerading and and and, and pretending to be the Almighty. So I looked up, Chief, and. Uh, 
I say here, here we are in Deuteronomy 115. So let me help you out. I had to stop because the show came on. But let me just talk to you. We have chief captains, chief bakers, chief butlers, chief man of the house, chief of the Levites who have oversight, chief of the house, of, uh, chief of the congregation, chief fathers, chief house of a prince throughout your tribe. Now, I can give you more, and if you want to wait till next week, I'll do your rest of them. But you also can go to my site. So we got chief midwives. Can you believe that? Chief of the midwives. Because what is a chief? You act like you don't even know what it is. All day long, you talk about the chief operating officer, the chief executive officer, the chief intelligence officer, the chief uh, communications officer, the chief financial officer. And when we say chief, you got a problem, that's because you're not in that strata. Because if you were there, you'd understand the importance. Jesus. Now that you're a leader, you're an administrator, and you're going to be where we are. You're going to have to explain why you're, if you ever become a chief or something. You know, because they chief cook, and these are in scripture. Chief officials in scripture. So stop, stop, stop showing your ignorance. Do your homework. Stop that. Stop being so interested in being heard. You don't care about being right or appearing intelligent. You just want to sound off. Everything is about a sound off. And then you're going to take people who do this 24, I do this almost 24-7. I know I do this seven days a week. And there are times I stay up to 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, and I'm running through dictionaries. I'm running through etymologies. I'm running through Latin roots. I'm running through old English roots. Oh, I'm running through. Asian roots, I'm doing it. You know why? Because if I serve the God of knowledge, I ought to sound knowledgeable. And some of you all, you don't sound knowledgeable because it's too important for you to sound off. You just want to sound off. Talking about titles and not inscription. What is cheap but a title? Over 300 times in scripture, over 300 times. Do you know how? That's a lot. That means that in a nation, a lot of chiefs are needed to get national stuff done. I know it's wonderful that we have this discussion. And now that you're a leader, you need to understand. And that if you're going to take on a leader, I'll tell you something I've learned about leaders in my years of doing this. And I am one. Leaders do not, leaders get their position one of two ways. Rashly, which Paul condemned, lay hands on no one suddenly, rashly. You should look that up because we think that we think he's talking about swiftly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Suddenly. But suddenly doesn't just mean swift. It doesn't mean, it really means unexpectedly, without anticip- anticipation, not expected, not prepared for. That's what he's talking about. So don't lay hands on people for leadership who are not prepared for it, who don't even expect it to be. Some of these people are like, I don't even know why they did it. I don't know, but they made me a leader. I don't know why. And then you don't know what to do because you're in a church that so makes everything magical and mythical that you don't recognize that if they laid hands on you for leadership, you should know what you're doing. And if you don't know what you're doing, you need to decline. Is that good? You need to decline or you need to go get training. Because 
the fact that your leader didn't care, that you had no capacity for it, and no training tells you that you will serve an unlearned leader. And they will not be any help to you because they can't help themselves. Because if they helped themselves, they wouldn't get themselves a novice, an amateur. If they could help themselves. Because jobs, there are times that you do things, okay, well, I need you to do this because I'm shorthanded, then keep the title and use the instrument and make them earn the title. Typically, by the time you get to be recognized as a Title One, you have already earned the title that they're about to publicize about you. So here we are, moving on. It's uh, the chief. Now, I study chief, and you know, I study words. And one of the things that I was surprised to find out about when I stumbled upon, well, actually, when I went through its etymology, uh, I don't know, five, seven years ago, is that chief is based on the word, but let's back up. I'm reversing it, so let me get it correct. The word achievement is based on the word chief. So you shouldn't be a chief if you haven't achieved. And achievement means if you're going to be chief, that means you're the expert. You're the top one. You are mastering this thing. You know what you're talking about, and you know how to explain it as well as demonstrate it. You can articulate it. You can exemplify it. And in the end, you expertize it. That's the chief. And when I put you in power, now I know that this is, you know, this is, some of you all have your own ways. God bless you. But when I put you in power, you're, gonna, you're going to be in a seat commensurate with your expertise or your specialty. So I'm not going to give you cheap nothing and you don't earn it. Trust me, when my daughter, these women will tell you when they come, when I'm my when I started telling my daughter, Chief, I'm like, you better fulfill it. Well, I didn't have to because she's always been aggressive. That's just the way. And so we had to do that. And I was like, you need to be good at what you do. If you're going to put Chief in front of your name, you should have a, an institution because that means you are an institutionalizer. You should have an entire embodiment that will come out of you and be an institution, and be a constitution, and be a guide, be a standard. Not just a title. The t- difference between a title and a label is you stick on a label, but you have to earn a title. And a lot of you all just got the, hello, I am label on you. Hello, my name is, that's a label. My, hello, my name is apostle. Hello, my name is prophet. Hello, my name is evangelist, pastor, teacher. Hello, my name is bishop. That's a label because you're nothing backing that. When it's a title, it's not just a stick on. Because a title embodies an institution, embodies department, and a title is shorthand, quick say, or an entire spectrum, or job description or position description. So when I say I'm chief apostle, and I know you're going to get, you know, we get, you, you always get somebody say, well, I don't care. Nobody is talking to the don't carers. <laughs> People don't build their 
success on folks who don't care. We don't give credence to them. We don't value them because we don't know why you don't care. We don't know if you don't care because you can't care. We don't know if you don't care because you are envious. We don't know if you don't care because you are threatened. We don't know. I don't have time to explore why you don't care. I don't. I don't have time to explore your reasons to give and your ration because you, I don't know what, how to rationalize it. So I just don't count it. You know, when we do, when we see people and we count our Facebook, this and that, we don't have, Facebook doesn't have a list and say this is how many don't care. Who cares about the don't care? We don't count you. We count the carers because it's the carers that we can sow into. It's the carers that you can explain to. It's the carers that have at least a, a grassroots appreciation of who you are or an awareness of what they're learning. So I deal with the carers. And see, it's time out for us to keep pandering to the people who don't care or the people who can't care. If you can't care, you're useless anyhow. You're not going to do anything that's going to benefit us. But fuss and balk and cry and criticize and moan and all of that. You just, I find that the don't care is a very boisterous, very noisy because they don't care. They don't care because they can't. It's not in them. They don't have the capacity. Is that all right? Y'all loving on me? Now, you know, I'm asking you because I just want to make sure you keep it up, not because I'm all concerned. I just want to make sure that we clearly understand each other. It's important that we understand each other. Isn't it? So if you're going to be a leader and you and the people's care is so important to you that you cannot do your job, quit. Because there, people are never going to agree. We can't get people to agree on dinner. We are all friends. After church on Sunday, we stand in the church lobby. We can't stand in the parking lot. We stand in the office, and we say, what are we going to eat? What do you want? What do you want? What do you want to go? I don't know. What do you want to go? I don't know. We can't make a decision on where to go as a unit for dinner. Folks can't agree on dinner. We can't agree on, you know, you know, a lot of people can't agree on a color paint. And they love each other, hopefully. So if you're, now that you are a leader, you're faced with some very interesting options. Change, stay the same, blame, embrace, and claim. Change, stay the same, blame, embrace, and claim. You have to decide where you fit in that. Because if you decide to stay the same, you will not be a leader long. And, I, you know, I used to say to some of my leaders when they were, uh, yeah, but the people, because, you know, Dr. Price, no. First of all, I'm carrying these people. I pick them up in prayer. I pick them up in my dreams. I pick them up in our conversations. So don't, don't, don't assume just because I'm not up in their faith all the time, I don't carry them. One of the reasons I'm not in their faith all the time is because I know that there needs to be a healthy distance, not a looseness, but a healthy distance for objectivity. See, because, you know, the Bible says seldom set your foot in your neighbor's house because they will eventually hate you for it. That's Proverbs. So when you're in people's face all the time, eventually your word means nothing. I have a whole section on this that I teach called the leadership mystique. As much as people say they want to see your clay feet, don't show them because they're going to crush it. Your clay feet are going to become powder. 
But, you know, all leaders have feet of clay. That's fine. That's why I wear shoes. You won't know what mine look like. So there has to be a healthy distance between you and those who need to trust you for their best interest and trust you and rely on you for the, for the organization's benefits to come to, to them through you. So it has to be that way. So I don't have a problem. You know, I, I'm, I'm not one of those that, you, you know, they hang out. But most, when you hear people talk about me, you can pretty much guess that it's a lie. I love my house. I love that cute. I got this cute little, it's nice. I'm a little fireplace over there, a little candle. It's wonderful. I got this wonderful, huge television screen over here. I got an office that, you know, you can just move. I, I like my house at the point. And I, I like my company. When I'm out, I enjoy out. I don't go into people's meetings. They don't bring me in and find me running up and down the street on their dime while I'm there. I just don't do it. Sure. I don't. I know that leadership works best, best with a healthy dif- distance between them. It's better that you imagine about me, hallelujah, than you lie about me. I just know it. I've learned it over 30-something years. I've been here, done that, you know, I'm telling you. And I tell my leaders, you need that mystique. I don't need you knowing what brand of toothpaste I'm using. That's a little close, and if you're not an attendant, I don't want you to know that. Not that I care about toothpaste, but I don't want that nosy spirit peering into my sphere of life. So it's best that you just have to make it up. I don't do it. I, I love, we, and we, we're like that. We kind of go home. When we think, we're so close, you wouldn't believe that we, when we go home, we like go to our separate way. So I wanted to, to make sure you understood that. Change, stay the same, blame, blame everybody for why you're not doing it right because you won't change. Because you chose to say, say you don't have the only other option you got is to blame. Well, you know, they don't get me. I try to do this. I try to do this. You learn how they do it. We always, we in the church always want to try it before we learn it. But Ezra 7.10 says, I purposed myself, made up my mind to learn the word of God, to do it, and then keep it. Because if you haven't learned it, you can't keep it. And if you don't do it, you don't know what you're keeping. So, going from fascination to adaptation. Powerful stuff. We're almost done on this, because I'm bringing the team up, because I know they got something to say. You know, she already warned me. I got stuff. I'm bringing stuff with <laughs> me. From fascination to adaptation, because do you remember? Does anybody remember I said the, the three things most people enter lead, in leadership on? Fascination, inspiration, imitation. You have not become your own. Your style cannot emerge until you have to exercise it or at least go through the motion of taking on the leadership post. So much of what you do is based on what enamored you. You were enamored with this guy and his booming voice. You were enamored with her, with her wonderful this. You were enamored with this and enamored with that, but you don't. You haven't tried it. It's when you do the job that you try it, then experimentation comes. And from experimentation, you make decisions about this suits me, this doesn't suit me, and they shouldn't conflict with the, with the authorizing body that put you in position. And if you come in and all you have is conflict with leadership, then you need to find another place. Because otherwise, I'm, I'm going to assume that you are the devil's advocate. Yes. 
So if all you do is complain and all you do is criticize without exploration, without expectation or, or study, you just are, but this is how you feel, then you are wrong. And you're wrong because you didn't go out and get enough right pieces to balance your criticism. You didn't talk to one of When people say that to me, oftentimes I'm like, are you sure? Well, y'all need to do something. Are you sure? Well, here's what I think. Are you sure? Because when I ask you, are you sure, that means did you go and did or are you just reacting to what you think is what shows you would be best for the position? So you want, to, you want me to employ your brain to so that you can replace what I've been using, and it's been working. I'm not doing that. I need you to show me I did so-and-so. I researched, I looked up, I had dinner with, I went out with so-and-so. Something that shows me you cared enough about our, our calling and our vision to at least get the backstory before you inject your new story. I need that. So when people do that, I don't, I don't write them off because I already know that that's impulsive. That's, you know, jump, that's a knee-jerk reaction. You're always going to be a knee-jerk reaction. You don't care about whether or not it fits. You care about whether or not you get an opportunity. Hmm. To begin functioning effectively in your new position, you need to be orientated to and acquainted with, acquainted with another side of leadership you may know little about, the business side that plans, thinks, governs, and decides what will or will not take place or what is going to happen in your organization. The side that determines how things are going to happen in the business, the side that organizes, administrates, and oversees the workings and dealings of the entity you serve. The side we are talking about is the world of leadership. Regardless of the position you hold today, any promotion means a series of changes will of necessity take place in your life. They must. The book even has a whole section on how to help your family get on board because family is the major saboteur of destiny. Historically, we got into this mess because of family. Eve, Eve deceived her husband. Cain killed his brother. Devils come to earth because all of that's broken up to make some babies. You understand? Family got us into it. So that's why I never, ever ever believe people when they say family first. First of all, family is not first because you get them to go to work every day. You need your family. You send your kids to school and leave them to family. What you mean is family should always usurp Christ. That's what you really mean. It should always usurp the church. Do not be deceived by the old adage that says promotion will not change me. As much as we would like to think so, the opposite is actually true. The demands of, a, of an elevated position, many of which are out of the leader's immediate control, means you must change. Depending on how high or sensitive your new position is, you will be forced to grow, to give your best, and if your new post is critical, you're all your lifestyle, past activities, and pursuits will be drastically altered in many ways. Not only is this advice needful, it should be heeded. You should be wise to expect the changes, and you should commit to them in order to prosper your new leadership post. No matter how 
trendy and liberating it sounds to declare in the beginning that promotion to leadership will not change you. The truth is, <laughs> it does bring and compel change. To keep your post and to fulfill the reasons you were appointed to it, rapid change will sweep through your life at staggering rates. So you, you have to. You know, when, I, when, I, when people come in and say, you know, God told me to come and get behind you, Dr. Price, and you never show up, I don't believe you. Now, I take you off my, my leadership future. I really do. Because I'm thinking, if God told you to get behind me, you should have asked him how I am. Because I expect people to keep their word. I expect people to do what they say they're going to do. And I expect people not to wrestle with me over what God has given me to do and sent them to help me with. You see what I'm trying to say? So I don't. There are a lot of people I never even discussed change with them because they're always gone. Why would I want to have an absent leader? Nobody wants to know show. So I, I don't. I don't pay attention. You know, I have. We have these uh, uh, these uh, meetings and events. I just look. I, I pay attention to who's there. Again, see, I'm not dealing with the nine carers. I'm paying attention to who's there, and I will say. I say it often to Apostle Ashton. I said, so and so, you know what? That I mean, that one boy, they just they in it, they for whatever. Because if you're for something, you are present. If you're not for it, you're absent. It's not it's not deep man. Well, you don't understand. I have other things to do. So do the people who are for it. Power. If you're going to be a leader, you better be good at negotiating your responsibilities and navigating your world to maintain them or to honor them. You have to. If you mean it, then you're going to start looking for when you can get your hours changed. If you mean it, one of the things we've had to do for years was, you know, people coming in and my folks talking about, I can't get off. you got 12 months to work it out. I don't really care. Well, you don't understand. You had 12 months. You have been here this long, 12 months. So you put in your vacation time because what you are saying is that you don't want to come on your vacation time. That's fine, but then don't ask me to sacrifice. This is because this is an interactive thing. This is intermediate. So don't ask me to sacrifice when you won't. I just I'm not doing it. I expect you to show up, and, and, and my leadership better show up. Are you kidding? How you how you not going to show up and you're the leader? And you home and see you home being the tail. Proverbs 8.20 talks about wisdom, and wisdom say, I lead in the way of righteousness, in the midst of the paths of judgment. So there are a couple of things you have to recognize, righteousness and judgment. Here's something important. When I wrote in 1 Kings 9.23, these were the chief of the officers that were over Solomon's work. Every leader, every high leader has chiefs. That's just the way it is. Because you need somebody to, somebody to lean on and somebody to resolve things and then somebody to criticize. Because, see, in my world, everything rises and falls on leadership. Because in the end, it does. Well, I didn't know she was going to do that. The problem is you didn't know. So did you check in before the event? Did you give a tick sheet? Did you come up with a list? How is it that you, you don't know your people and you don't know what they're doing? Because I sure come after them. No, is that, but then I send you... But then we get an email because you need, and you also need to know the weak links in your organization, and your leaders will tell you, oh, no, they're sweet, but don't try, no, uh-uh, don't give them too much. Now, I said that. I said, oh, so-and-so did that well. Yeah, they did that well. <laughs> they tell me they did that well. Okay. And I'm thinking, 
so I'm, I'm thinking, should I read between the lines or not? You know, I'm going to try to figure this out. Because they did that well. So does that mean that that is all they can do well? You know? And usually they'll say pretty much. I'm telling you how to think like a leader. Because sometimes some of you are real leaders, but you've been talked out of leadership practices, leadership common sense. Because leadership has a common sense uh, element to it because it exists, it predates the world. So, and again, uh, Solomon has, these were the chief of the king's officers. Oh, well, God doesn't use that. Yeah, he does. Officers. All the way up to the New Testament. Gift versus office. See, Ephesians 4 11 is going to tell you about the gift things. But 1 Corinthians 12, 28 and 29, I'm going to tell you about the officers. You all like this? Come on up. You are now the one. And this here, this is a nice little, you've got the influence, inspire, encourager, oversee, supervise. These are elements of leadership. I hope you can see that. Can they see that? I'm going to see it. Okay, you are now the one. Yeah, I'm trying to get it to read by force. Okay, I'm just going to read it out loud. That's okay. And I'm going to put on some glasses, and we're going to do it. Now, I want you to listen to this and go back, share, 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 and then replay, replay, hashtag, share, hashtag, replay, replay, hashtag, share, to keep on doing it. You are now the one, friend or coworker turned leader. You are the one now. You, are, you have to make some hard decisions about your coworkers. I mean, are we going to still be friends? Not all of them. I don't believe that you need to let them all go because I've never seen that have to happen. You will always get the John, you know, the Joshua. You'll always get the Elisha. You'll always get the John, the apostle, who will get you in your new position and role. You need to find out who that is. You are now the one that criticized for taking your promotion seriously. All of a sudden, you think you're all bad just because you, you think you're all good, okay? They, are not, they now fear the inherent authority of your position. They may not fear you, but they know that if you have to choose between them and your position and that nice little increase you have, that cute little office or whatever parking space, they know they're going to lose. So they will never treat you as an equal buddy again. It won't happen because until you leave that position, they know you can cost them. Your loyal to them, your staff, must give way to fidelity to the organization entrusting you. Former co-workers know what it means to them. They have lived this before. They have watched other friends move up the ladder, and they have to turn around and give you an honor and respect that they don't want to. They don't want to give it to you. And so you have to know that. I love the way God does this. Um, you are now oh, the last one. Your promotion in their eyes means change is not guaranteed to work to their advantage. They know that because you were, really you were elevated because the company wants to make change. The organization needs to change. They got a spot that needs to be filled. So you need to know that. So I'm going to give you these last two. I think these are going to be great. The leaders you formerly admired or criticized now look quite impressive in their leadership roles. Remember how you used to sit in the lunchroom? You know, they don't know what they're doing. This one doesn't know what they're doing. So all of a sudden, you have to become an advocate of leadership. 
where before you were a critic. So now these changes start with your stunning demands, old views and opinions versus uh, reality ones. All of a sudden, you like I admire this person who pulled this off when we were trying to sabotage you. Okay, worker versus winner assessment: how you how you judge when you were a worker versus how you judge those who win, having to deal with the group you just left. All right, change, mandatory and imposed by position. Desire or determination, driving diligence, huh. confident, compatible, capable, confident, compatible, capable, and competent, and then resolved and ready. Are you ready to be a leader? Because you have to ask yourself, are you ready? And so as we start ending, I'm going to give you these last ones. Leadership places enormous and stunning demands upon you. What you thought it would mean to be out front and highly visible is not what it is. Your prior notions of leadership saw its work from a mainly public appearance view. Promotion to leadership alters followers' views extensively. Handling job, uh, handling the job appears more skillful because you are on the other side and you're doing the handling. Being in leadership quickly takes hold to soften your followers' judgment, your followers' judgment and conviction. In other words, how you judge before, now that you are the one being judged, oh, you have a whole lot of compassion, you have a lot of understanding. Isn't that wonderful? That's the end. <laughs> Now that you are a leader. So I would, again, suggest you share, 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 and replay. Because some of you all, you can now begin to tap into what bothered you about this or that as the leaders in your church, etc. Because you can tell an untrained leader because they're always exaggerated in their emotions. They're always up front. They're in the way. They're underfoot because they want you to see them. And they're taking their esteem from their public appearance and not from their leadership competence. You All right. This is so good today. I think, you know, just helping us understand, especially when you're dealing with leaders, that you often look at the expression but don't have an understanding of the character and, like, the constitution, like mm-hmm. what that leader is made of, what causes them to be, to be who they are. So I think that's so important. And that obviously speaks to what you talked about with imitation. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we're, you're mimicking, mm-hmm. essentially. You're mimicking what you see. Um, I, thought you talk, I loved how you talked about how um, what, you, what you can't uh, have a need for as a leader um, to help further distinguish, you know, what that mindset and mentality of a leader is. You know, you can't rely on the love of the people um, and how true that is. And you realize that the instant that you become a leader where you have to be at the place where you might have to, um, you might have to do something that doesn't feel good to a person. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's that difference. I was listening to a podcast once they were talking about the difference when you are a leader that sometimes you have to, you do have to hurt someone. You have to hurt their feelings. You have to hurt their ego. Um, but there's a difference between hurting someone and then damaging their soul. You know, yeah. there are things that you have to do as a leader that hurts them. Yeah. You know, if you have to fire someone, they're going to be hurt by that. You know, yeah. but 
the reality is you may still have to fire them. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's just um, that difference. I thought it was so important you talked about um, even understanding that leaders have to report to their office that, you know, becoming a leader, when you step into that leadership realm, now all of a sudden you have this greater accountability, this greater uh, responsibility that weighs on your shoulders. Um, and, uh, again, this, this takes me all the way back to early, early years of leadership training and, and realizing that hidden despite for leadership and, and all those different things because of that reason, uh, because you don't want to be the leader that you always despise, you know, but it's different when you're wearing those shoes and then you have to command respect, you have to command attention, right? And then you recognize what your leader went through to get that from you. So I thought it was so important. Um, I, I think I've the, uh, just some of the, a few other pieces you talked about the the separation that sanctification means separation, which I think is very difficult for us to deal with, especially when your leader coming out from among them. I think if you were born uh, born to be, if you were bred a leader, right, where your 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 parents and everyone around you they always uh, bred you to be a leader. That's different. But when you're coming out from among them and you have to step into leadership, and even when you have to deal with your judgment, you know, yeah. the reality is you have to eat your judgment. Mm-hmm. I love I love now that you're a leader, even as teaching. Is you have to you have to eat them, and, and that comes in seasons when you first step into leadership, where you're eating all the judgments mm-hmm. that you made about leaders, and you're living that out, you know. And so in that first couple seasons, you may want to quit because you're thinking I'm not equipped. But really, you're equipped, but you're eating. You're having to eat all that you judge and live that out and walk through that with the people that you're now leading. Um, so again, this discussion is really really powerful, uh, powerful today. Very good. You know, and and you entered the whole kind of spectrum very young. Yeah. Very young, and a lot of preconceptions and prejudices. Because, see, you don't realize you have a lot of prejudices. You may, they may not be biased, yeah. but they are prejudices. And that means these are prejudgments yeah. on how it is. And so the other, when I say invitation, I'm thinking, well, when I, if I were in that position and when I get in that position, and you can rest assured, and when you think you're being considered for leadership, you have this Absalom campaign, this under, underground campaign where you walk around, I'm going to be taken over soon, so and when I'm over, we're not going to have this. And when I get it, we're not going to do that. And I, I, I lived that with a, a young man I was mentoring for leadership. And uh, during the time that I was out having my surgery and recovering, he had a whole campaign. Well, you know, she's not going to be around long. And, you know, when I'm in leadership and when I take over. See, my problem is this. My, and it was very serious when he did it. And he, he did end up shattering the church. And uh, But his whole idea of promotion was I'm, go, I'm not, I'm not going to be the change agent. I'm going to be the agent of change in an organization that didn't need you to change it. And so he refused to adapt. He was, but this guy never missed a meeting, was never late, did everything that was responsible. And if it hadn't been for someone overhearing or being approached to him with this campaign, I would have never known that he had this whole undercurrent thing. Some of you all need to let these people know that you're going to use them, but then observe how they handle their candidacy. Because are they, are they converting people from you? While they're waiting for you to do it and pretending to agree with everything you say, you need to check it out because I want, you want to hear it. I like to listen. In my training programs, I make them talk all the time. Come on, talk. Mm-mm, y'all, I'm going to nope down in there. Uh-uh, y'all going to talk. Mm-mm. And you're going to write. You're going to write me some stuff. I'm going to write. Yes, because, see, I'm a writer, so I read between the lines pretty well. And then we're going to have presentations. Yes, we are. And I'm going to give you all these. Oh, yeah, you're going to. 
God, because I, I that's why we have the prophecies and the portfolio, because I believe the Holy Ghost should not be the only one that knows how you lead and, and the effect of your leadership on the body. The Holy Spirit should not be the only one knowing. So I get documentation, and we drill you. We drill you. don't just get, glory to God, you're right. No, no, no. We're go- okay, so we have this panel. Yes. We have a panel, and they get to ask you anyway, and I don't care how they do it, because I want to know how you act under pressure when your feelings are hurt. Because, mm-hmm. see, it's when your feelings hurt that, that all of your guards drop. Everybody, devils are like, break free. They break through the prison bar. And so, you, <laughs> yes. so we, I want to know that. I hope this helps some of you. And if it does, let me know. And if you are in leadership, if you are a leader, let us know. Both on it. You know, Dr. Price, I appreciate that. So I don't, I don't need a leader so badly that I have to make them a leader overnight. Now, I can make you, I'm going to take you as a helper. Mm-hmm. Then I'm going to move you from helping to being, you know, a tool. Mm-hmm. Okay. The utility, we move you up the right of usefulness until we're sure that you are who you say you are. Because people with deep aspirations, you have to agree with this. I'm sure you can comment on it. They have a whole facade that you have to dig into to see what you're getting. Mm-hmm. Sure, many times people are surprised that they're the saboteurs. Mm-hmm. They're surprised that they're the one who is actually undoing your work because when they come in with those perspectives and passions and desires, they're looking to impose those as their perceived solution to your problem. Going back to what you said before, man, as soon as I get in that position, Mm -hmm. as soon as I do whatever, then I'm you're gonna see as soon as you will you will never. No. You only have a couple times to say that to me. And I understand, <laughs> no, that's right. Yeah, because I understand you don't understand mm-hmm. the position we are trying to put you into. That's and in the MAQ, it talks about your ability to uh, comprehend the scope of mm-hmm. your gifting or your call in your office and your ability to enter and discharge it. Mm-hmm. And I think all those words are very yeah. important. Because we people start wrong. Their comprehension of what they're going into is off. Yes. And so because their comprehension is off, how they enter it, how they discharge it, their ability to be consistent in it, and all the things that you posted earlier are jeopardized because the comprehension is all wrong. And we know, talking about, well, anything, really, at this point, leadership, apostleship, prophetic, the, the prevailing doctrine is off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so most people who, even though they believe in what they're being trained to do, the training reveals the conflicts mm-hmm. I like that. that they have, that they don't know they have, mm-hmm. with their assignment, whether it is a position or an office or a station or, or an opportunity just in yeah. general. Mm-hmm. I like how you said, but they, that conflict. Because sometimes people don't know they have an inner conflict. No. And then other times they have a conflict that they think should be. Like, there are people who will come in and say, yeah, but I'm here to stir up the waters. You know, you might be, you might not be, but I might not want my pot stirred. So there's something else to say about I just may not want that. We're on a nice summer. This is low summer, and we all call this stew is blending. And so, but then you have people who are flat out opportunists. Our training is to show whether you want to, are you coming in for your opportunities or to facilitate the opportunities 
that can happen for us in the company. So I watch how people even enter. When they enter, like that, I told you, they enter talking change before you understand what we're talking about. Well, I'm done. I'm like, you don't need to know. You're here for yourself. I'm going to need you to quit. Did you want to speak to that? Oh, no. I'm going to need you to quit. Yeah. And I told you, when I was younger, you know, I, I, when I was, I was much more naive, sure. but I was always a, a guardian. Because I felt like I had to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and explain to him why I put all of the wrong pieces on my playboard. Mm. So that I who would sabotage what he what he wanted to do. And I would have to answer for that. What is the reason that would make me do it? Sometimes we put people in leadership because we just like them. Sometimes we like having dinner with them. Sometimes they always giving us stuff. You know, they have a lot of reasons. Yeah, and then I think like what you guys were talking about just a, just a moment ago, I think goes back to what you mentioned earlier about having to learn the position, learn it first, um, and learn what's required. Um, again, a, a good leader is not necessarily looking for a platform, but looking for ways that they're going to be effective. So I, I think that that's really powerful and, and in that, you know, recognizing, um, even checking your own motivation. Why do I want to help? Mm-hmm. Why? Why? You know, why do I think I'd be useful to this organization? Yeah. Why? And checking those motivations at, at the door even before you offer yourself so that you aren't mistakenly someone's saboteur. Mm-hmm. You know, not recognizing that your strong opinions or different things like that actually might be damaging to them. They might be helpful to an entirely different organization once it's been assessed. So I think the assessment piece of it is really important how to assess what does this organization, what are they already doing? What is their vision already? When people make a lot of assumptions, especially about small organizations, you, you actually find this a lot in smaller organizations because when you're dealing with big kind of monster organizations, people don't even see a path to leadership. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So yeah. it's, it's, and they don't care what you're they, saying. Right. 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 Oh, like they, don't see, they don't see a clear way that they would get to the top. Mm-hmm. But that, in those kind of situations, getting to the top is a pipe dream. But I think that in smaller organizations, people see that there's an easy road to get to be a leader, mm-hmm. an easy road to get to be, you know, uh, one of the figureheads of that organization. And so they'll just push their way. So I think that this is this is a very needed message because it's happening, I think, in churches all around the globe where you know, you're coming in and you're just seeing that there's a gap and you just see that you're the person to fill it without assessing why is that gap even there. First of all, is that gap supposed to be there? <laughs> Maybe they wanted it there. You know, we, just finding out first. So I think the learning first piece is important. I, I agree with you. And, and the whole idea of coming to help. When you're a small organization, people assume you're small because you're stupid. But that's true. So they, they, they feel like they're gonna they're gonna bring this brilliance that's going to turn you around. And so they walk in the door with, well, um, I looked at so and so, and I I looked at that. And I noticed y'all need to do this or you need to do that. I have spent like waiting for my my day in the sun. I spent 30 years of people trying to tell me what I've already done. And then when they get inside my organization and realize we did all of this, and what we had to wait for was our season. And so, you know, if, so your reason for why I'm not there and my reason are different because your reason is about whether or not I am ready. My reason is my season. And so they come in and we have to start to, okay. no, I've done that, no. And then they think you're lying. You know, they think you're, they think you're, because they, you, they read all the books. Well, you know, when you come in, if they say they've done everything, then you better know that they've not done it. You know, they don't want to hear it. No, I got paper. I got books. I got I, all of it. And, when, and in the end, the experts that did come in and assess us said, well, all you need is an opportunity.
Christ. Got that. Glad you got that. I want to ask, Sade, you, you, could you do this kind of stuff? Just, would you share some of your thoughts on it? Um, you and uh, Vanessa, I'll let you two close it out. Your name and your background and what you do. Hello, everybody. My name is Sade McDougall, and I work um, in ba- I've been working at banking operations for about 10 years since the start of my career. And so um, as far as organizations, it's very important that you um, do an assessment. But which perspective does Well, how about this? I like this, where you were going with the assessment, but from the perspective of training and how it, it is fought in the church, and we don't know why, when it's, and if what we're talking about is normal or common elsewhere. One of the things that I, that I took from my experiences in the church, um, people assume that you don't have to run it as if it is an organization. Yes, true, it is a ministry, but there are still universal things, policies, procedures that must be put in place to make sure that that church is functioning um, according to the level that it needs to for mm-hmm. success that Jesus Christ has in mind. So what about training programs? I mean, could you speak to whether how the training programs should at least relate or, or at least be, you know, similar to each other? Um, yes, for the training, just like with a regular organization in the secular world, you have to um, tailor your training program to make sure that it meets the objective, that the people are trained to meet the objective, the ultimate goal of any institution, whether that be secular or ecclesiastical. Yeah, and people don't want to be trained in the church. Yeah. You know, no. they, they, they don't want that. Thank you so much sure. for sharing. You're next on. Okay. All right, so I'm Vanessa Cunningham. My background is in business operations, finance, project management, and business analysis. So what do you want me to... Well, it's, well even in listening to what we're saying, the difficulties and the resistance that we have, did you experience them in, in your other in your sector profession? Well, definitely. Well, I've worked in different types of organizations. I've worked in larger institutions. So I worked at Goldman Sachs, so obviously that's a Fortune 500 company. My company right now is a healthcare company. It's a little bit smaller, so I can definitely see the differences and the nuances, and I can see the difference when the training is, like, high-level training mm-hmm. and the... Is there a difference between high- and low-level training? Again. Because, you know, the church doesn't have that. No, well, could you give us some examples? Yeah, there's definitely a difference. So when I was at Goldman, they put me through some leadership training, some advanced training, just to even fast-track me to that path. The current company I'm in right now, no shade, but there really isn't much training, and the training that they have is not on that level. Mm-hmm. It's not superb. It's not stellar. Like, even the training at another firm that I work for, they had high-level people who did speaking come in and train us and teach us on the different types of speaking, modulation, just different Do we do that in the Church of Jesus Christ? Oh, yes, you do. You do the ministry. Yeah, no, no, no. So just even from my last church to this church, it this church is like the way you run things to me as my business my background is business, is that you run it more in that manner. And because you run it in that manner, you get the results that you have versus other people that think that you gotta do this on the whim and it don't work like that. So that's what I do definitely appreciate about you and even what you said earlier about it's not about you know has the pieces in place, it's just the opportunity. Just me even being here and working with you all, I can definitely see that, you know, for sure. And you guys definitely have it. You have it in place. And I just, you know, can't wait for this type of training to roll out 
you know, maybe even for other ministries to know how to run their ministry, how God would want them to run mm-hmm. it, and not based off of their opinions and what they think, you know, or how it should run. So, what would be your closing answer to someone who says leadership won't change me? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I just so happened in between my work earlier to be listening to what you have said, and I disagree with those who definitely say that. But I do understand those who feel like they are in leadership and they kind of want to kind of keep those relationships. But I also see how it damages you as a leader and your reputation. So I do uh, agree with what you said, that there's going to be a point where that person is going to have to choose. You either want to be a leader or you're going to be a tail and you're going to be a follower. (laughs) So you do have to make those distinctions, and I think that it's hard. But like you said, if you want to be a leader, you're just going to have to, you know, put your big girl panties up or whatever. (laughs) And just whatever you work, and just step into that position. But mm-hmm. you definitely have to make that distinction if you want to be powerful and you don't want to have to deal with familiarity all the time and compromising you as a leader. Yeah, thank you. you. Know? That's very good. Amen. Thank you. Thank both of you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. But we're coming down to our last few minutes. Don't forget, join me in Kentucky. You're going to talk about that. Yes. And then you're going to do what you do with Yes. And so we're going to be in Lexington, Kentucky tomorrow night. Dr. Price is teaching at the Gathering of the Eagles Prophetic Summit, uh, Apostle Jonathan Stidham in Lexington, Kentucky. We're going to be there at the Gate Church, Pomona's yeah. Ministry. Ooh. They are already registered. But you know, those are my babies. They are. They're my babies. And now they're the guard. Yeah, they're the guard. Yeah, y'all yeah. ain't my guardian babies. It's something about when you're <laughs> apostles in your region, everybody's like, don't anybody oh, look sideways at Dr. Price. I love them. <laughs> I think they're like our only millennial church. Yeah, right they're now, a millennial right? church. And then Sunday, we will be with their apostle, yes. their direct apostle over there, Apostle Nona Parker in Joliet, Illinois. Yeah, and I'll be ministering Sunday morning. We're going to have a blast. Hey, if you're in the Kentucky area, drive on in. Drive by. Come and see. You already know that it's worth the effort. You know that it's worth the time investment. Why don't you come by and bring your leaders? Bring leaders, bring your future leaders, bring your hopeful leaders, and then bring your followers so that they know how to work with the leaders. It's up to you. <laughs> That's right. And now you guys know what time it is. We're going to give. We're going to take a moment to sow into this, especially if you were a part with us last week for our Taking It On webathon. We are still continuing to raise money to raise funds. But today we want you to sow a seed. You can sow a seed Cash App, Dr. Paula Price on Cash App, or paypal.me slash Dr. Paula Price. You can also associate me a text to give. Rachel's putting all the information on the screen for you so that you know how to sow your seed today. And if you were a part of that website last week and you said, I want to be a partner, and you weren't able to do it last week, we want to encourage you to visit us at takingitoff.com so you can become a partner with us as we really take this message to the world. And next week we have some wonderful announcements for you. You're going to be excited. Yay! 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 Don't forget, we're on the Now Network, right? Yes, I'm Okay, so now. is that on this Friday? Friday morning, 730 Eastern Time, 730 Central Time, 830 Eastern Time. Yes. Now Network. So you can catch Taking It On on Friday morning on the Now Network, and next week we'll tell you the other networks that we're on. You're going to love it. You're going to yes. say, wow, God is doing a do. Until, listen, God bless you till next week. I love you. I love you.